Okay, praises be to our loving Abba. If we're able to study his words and his commandments, tonight we're going to talk about the one day is as a thousand years. I'm sure many of you, if not all of you, are aware of this phrase that with Yahuwah, one day is as a thousand years. So where does it come from exactly? Let's turn to the book of Second Peter, chapter 3, and the verse is 8. But beloved, do not forget this one thing that with Yahuwah, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And so this is what the Apostle Peter said and wrote. And we need to understand the context. Why did Apostle Peter say that with Yahuwah, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day? We need to know the context. That way we can properly apply this idea that with Yahuwah, one day is as a thousand years. Take note, when the Apostle Peter said this statement, he also said, do not forget this one thing. And he says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, which tells us there's something going on before verse 8, which led the Apostle Peter to say, but beloved, do not forget this one thing. With Yahuwah, one day is as a thousand years. Hence, we need to know the context. And so to get the context, let's read the verses before that. In the book of Second Peter 3, 3 down to 7, knowing this verse that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of this coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were rolled, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So what is the context behind the statement of the Apostle Peter when he said one day with Yahuwah is as a thousand years. It is about scoffers that will come in the last days. And these scoffers, what will they say about the promise coming of the end of the world? The Bible says that these scoffers are going to say, many people have said that the promise is coming, but it hasn't come yet. The fathers fell asleep, the prophets have all died, but the end has not yet come. The promise has not yet come. So there are scoffers that were present during the time of the Apostle Peter. There were scoffers during the days of the prophets. And there are scoffers during the last days. What do they mock? The idea that there will be this day of judgment. The idea that there's going to be the promise coming of our King Yahusha. This is also referred to as the day of Yahuwah. And so because there were scoffers, people mocking that it hasn't come yet. That is what prompted the Apostle Peter to say in verse 8, and we'll continue to verse 10 this time. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with Yahuwah, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Yahuwah is not slack concerning this promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of Yahuwah will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And so the Bible says that this one day is as a thousand years, connecting it to Yahuwah's plan for creation, from the beginning until its end, until the coming of judgment. And so the context of the statement, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day, concerns the plan of Yahuwah or the earth from its creation up until its end. And where can we find this plan of Yahuwah? In the book of Isaiah, 46 verse 10, this is what the prophet Isaiah says, which we believe was behind the motivation of Apostle Peter when it comes to telling us about what's going to happen in the end. Isaiah says, I make known the end from the beginning, 
from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. By the way, in Isaiah 46.10, who is the one speaking there? It's obviously not Isaiah, but who? Yahuwah. You see, Yahuwah can say things and do things and know those things that we don't know. Because the Bible says he makes known the end from the beginning. And so when you know the beginning and you know the end, then you have the plan of creation. Who is the one who created all things? It is Yahuwah. And when he created all things from the beginning all the way to the end, it is in the mind of Yahuwah. This is why he says, my purpose will stand. This is why we're not surprised. Did you know that in the beginning, we can already know the end? What do you mean that in the beginning, we can already know the end? Let's go at the beginning. What's the beginning? The first passage in all of Scripture. What is it? Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. That's the beginning. Did you know in the beginning, we can already know the end? Did you know that in the very first passage of Scripture, we already know what the conclusion and the promise is going to be? Let's look at Genesis 1. 1 and 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We've studied this before. The truth is the first word of the first word is beginning. In Hebrew, it is called Bereshit. That's the first word of the first passage. Bereshit. Take note, this is the first word in the entire Bible. And in this word number one, the very first verse, the very first word of the Bible, it already contains the end. What is that end? The promise of what Yahusha will do. Well, where can we find that in the beginning? Where can we find that in Gadaji? Well, it turns out the Hebrew language is very fascinating and rich with meaning to the point that even every letter has a corresponding meaning. Did you know that in Hebrew, there are called the alphabet is also considered to be pictographs. In other words, every letter has a corresponding meaning. And this is the Hebrew letters with the corresponding pictograph. For example, the first letter, Aleph, that often is used to represent God, ox, strength, leader. So every letter has a corresponding meaning. And so when we look at the first word, the first word in the whole Bible, in, the, in Genesis 1-1, which is what word again? Gereshit, which means beginning this is what we find we have bet resh alef shin uh, yod and the top what does bet represent we look at the pictograph beth represents house so we put house by bet resh resh represents head and so we put resh with the meaning head aleph like what we said represents strength leader oftentimes it is used to represent God or Yahuwah himself, so we'll put Aleph as God, and then Shin, that represents um, to destroy, to consume, to eat, and so Shin represents to destroy, the Yod, that represents a hand, arm, deed, and so Yod is hand, and Tav, that represents, according to the Hebrew letters with pictographs, it is a covenant, a covenant. And so what we have, when we look at the first word of the entire Bible, which is Bereshit, or beginning in English, is the following message, all contained in the beginning. What is that? House, head, God, destroy, hand, covenant. Does that make any sense? It doesn't make any sense if we don't know the redemptive history of Yahuwah's plan for mankind, right? If we have no idea about Yahuwah's work for redeeming mankind to make him his children, we will have no clue as to what this could possibly mean. But because we understand the scriptures, we can see the beauty of this word, Berejit. Because when we look at it, house, head, God, destroy, hand, covenant, what does that tell us? It tells us the story of the gospel, doesn't it? What is that story? Christ, the head of all things, will be destroyed by the hand of the Supreme God to create a new covenant so that we can be God's 
children. That's the end from the beginning. And so there is good news ahead. The history and the story of mankind has a happy ending. It did not have a good beginning because Adam and Eve fell from grace because they ate the forbidden fruit. But it has a happy ending. And how is this happy ending brought about? Through the sacrifice of Yahusha. When Yahusha was killed and destroyed for our sins, a new covenant would be created so that we can become the children of God. And this is all backed up biblically. It's not just according to the letters. It's according to the scriptures. Because when you look at home, the Bible does say that the assembly is the the household of God. Colossians 20, which is the head of God. Second Corinthians, Yahuwah is the father and God of our King Yahusha. Isaiah 53, in verses 5 and 4, Yahuwah will destroy with his hand Yahusha to establish the covenant according to Hebrews 9, 14 and 15. So the message of the gospel is contained in one word. What is that word again? Bereshit. What does that mean? The beginning. This is why it's true what the prophet Isaiah said when he said, I make known the end from the beginning. Yahuwah announced the end from the beginning and he has declared this to us in the very first word of the Holy Bible. This is why the Holy Scriptures, the more you analyze and look at it, the more fascinated you are the more you are moved to awe because there's no way a human author can possibly think of that. It is inspired by Yahuwah. But we're not yet finished because this plan of Yahuwah concerning Yahusha to bring about the happy ending to the restoration of paradise, it unfolds throughout creation. We call it redemptive history. This is why the prophet Isaiah not only says, Yahuwah not only says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. And so the ancient writings, the book of Genesis, for example, reveals to us what will come in the future. Because what will follow after the events of history is according to the purpose and the pleasure of Yahuwah. So let's go back to Genesis 1. 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is called the story of creation. We already know that a sheep, it communicates to us the message of redemption. Now we're going to look at some of the details of that work of redemption. And it's found in the first 33 or 31 verses of the book of Genesis. And so we know Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Well, what is that all about? It's about the seven days of creation. You know what we can call that? We can call that the seven-day plan of Yahuwah for the redemption of mankind. Because Yahuwah knew all along before he created the heaven and the earth that man would commit sin. But nevertheless, he created man because he had a seven-day plan for his redemption. And this is what we're going to look at today. And so let's begin with the days of creation. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven. Uh, we were taught this when we were younger, when we were in Sunday school. And so I'm sure if I were to ask you, the audience who were here, like what did Yahuwah create on day number two? I'm sure you can give us the answer. What did Yahuwah create on day number five? I'm sure you can give me the answer, right? For example, let's ask my son. He's giving me a problem. Let's ask, let's ask my daughter, what did Yahuwah create in day one? Oh, she's giving me the look. Okay. Let's just go ahead and read Genesis, because I don't dare ask my wife. Let's read Genesis 1, 2 down to 5. This is what it says. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light. And it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. And so in the first day, Yahuwah, when he created the heavens and the earth, there was darkness. And then he created light. And then he separated the darkness from 
the light. So there's a separation of darkness and light. So this was day number one, separation of light from darkness. So what did Yahuwah create on day two? Let's read Genesis 1, 6 to 10. Then God said that there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said that the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear and it was so. God called the dry land earth and got the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And so what did Yahuwah create? On the second day, what happened? There was a separation of waters. And so there were waters above, waters beneath, and eventually uh, the waters would become land or earth, and those underneath would become uh, the seas. And so that's day number two. What did Yahuwah God create on day number three? Let's read Genesis 1, 11 to 13. Then Yahuwah said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is, is in itself according to its kind. And Yahuwah saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. So what did Yahuwah create on the third day? He created fruit-bearing seeds. This was the emphasis of the third day. He established the seed that bears fruit. I want you to keep note of what Yahuwah has been creating and doing thus far. Let's go to day number four, 14 to 19. Then Yahuwah said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and it was so. Then Yahuwah made two great lights, a greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Yahuwah set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And Yahuwah saw that it was good. So the evening and morning were the fourth day. So what was created by Yahuwah on the fourth day? The lights, the greater light, the lesser light, the stars. What is its purpose? to provide guidance, to provide light upon the earth. And so that's day number four, the sun, moon, stars. The sun rules over the day. I want you to take a mental note of that. What did Yahuwah create on day five? Let's read. And Yahuwah said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And Yahuwah saw that it was good. And Yahuwah blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. So what did Yahuwah create on the fifth day? day sea creatures what is in great abundance in the seas we call them fish right there's lots and lots of fish in the seas not only the fish and the, the living creatures in the seas but also the birds of the air so you have the fish you have the birds and so this is what was emphasized in day number five the birds and the fish how about day number six i think you all know what Yahuwah created on day number six and the purpose for why they were created. Let's read nonetheless, Genesis 1, 26. Then Yahuwah said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So Yahuwah created man in his own image. In the image of Yahuwah, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And Yahuwah blessed them. And Yahuwah said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And Yahuwah saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. So the evening and morning were the sixth day. So what did Yahuwah create on the sixth day? Adam and Eve, Yahuwah created man on the sixth day. What was the purpose of Yahuwah in creating man? To be fruitful, to multiply, to rule over the earth, to have dominion over the earth. And so this was the emphasis in day six. Man is created to rule over and have dominion over creation. This is Yahuwah's purpose. Well, how about day seven? What happened? Genesis 2, 1 down to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, the seventh day, Yahuwah ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then Yahuwah blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which Yahuwah had created and made. So what did Yahuwah do on the seventh day? He basically set it apart as a special day, right? What day did he call that? He called it the Sabbath day. The seventh day is a day of rest, because on the seventh day, Yahuwah did not work, but he rested. And so this is the seventh day. So that's the seven days of creation, from day one all the way to day seven. Now, why are we talking about the seven-day plan or the seven days of creation? Because this is what the Apostle Peter had in mind when he wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3. What's the proof? Let's go back to 2 Peter 3, 8 down to 10. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with Yahuwah, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Yahuwah is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of Yahuwah will come as a thief in the night. And so why are we studying all about the seven days of creation? Because Apostle Peter, in responding to scoffers who mock the idea that there's going to be the promised coming of our King Yahushua, he went to equate the one day in creation to how many years? A thousand years. Question, does it mean it took Yahuwah one, uh, it took Yahuwah 1,000 years to create each day? No, it was one literal day. Because if you remember, when we were reading Genesis, the Bible says there was evening and morning, the first day, evening and morning, the second day. So when it comes to the actual act of creation, Yahuwah took only one 24-hour day for each of the days. Apostle Peter, when it comes to prophecy, he is equating the seven days of creation to prophetic events with each day lasting how long? One thousand years. So when Apostle Peter wrote down, when he penned down, one day is a thousand years, he was referring to the days of creation to answer the question why the end has not yet come. So why hasn't the end uh, yet, has, why has the end not yet come according to Apostle Peter? Simply because Yahuwah has a timeline. Yeah, Yahuwah has a seven-day timeline. And so he's following his timeline that he revealed from the very beginning, even from the work of his creation. This is why Apostle Peter says, don't think that he is slow in his promise. No, he is long-suffering. This is why he appointed basically 6,000 years for man to repent and to return to him. But this is why in 2 Peter, 1 down to 4, take note of what Apostle Peter instructs us to do, especially those who think that the promise of the return of our King Yahushua will not take place. 
in 1 to 4, beloved, I now write to you uh, the second episode in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And so Apostle Peter is instructing his readers to pay close attention to what the prophets wrote. And surely he was referring to Isaiah. Isaiah who said the end from the beginning was declared by Yahuwah and he will fulfill his purpose. And so Yahuwah has a timeline and he will follow that timeline as revealed to the prophets. And so there's the beginning of creation and there's the present time and there's a conclusion of the ages and all throughout Yahuwah is following the timeline of Genesis. This is why Apostle Peter says, those who are mocking, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Apostle Peter says in verse 5 to 7, for this they willfully forget, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water. He was referring to the days of creation by which the word that then existed perished, being flooded with water, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So Apostle Peter is equating what happened uh, in the past to what will happen in the future. And one of the days uh, mentioned there is the day when water and land appeared, right? And water destroyed the land. When did this happen? The universal flood, the deluge in the days of Noah. And Apostle Peter equates, because Noah and what happened to the whole world was following the timeline set forth in Genesis, the end that is going to come when Yahushua returns, it's also according to the timeline. This is why we need to look at that timeline, because it was also mentioned by Isaiah. Yahuwah himself says, from ancient times, what is still to come, it follows the timeline revealed in the book of Genesis, where each day represents how many years? 1,000 years. Do you know what that means? It means the earth only has, has a lifespan of how many years? 7,000, right? And so in the 7,000 year lifespan of the earth, we can kind of see where we're at and kind of figure out how close we are to the end. Because if it has a lifespan, if we know where we're at, we know how close we are to when it's going to all come to an end. And this is actually not something new. I mean, the early followers of Yahusha, like Apostle Peter, is the one who declared it, but even the early followers of Yahusha believed that one day corresponding to a thousand years represents the seven days of creation. And this is recorded, for example, by a student, a pupil of the Apostle John. He's one of the so-called church fathers. Um, if you still remember, Irenaeus, he lived during the days of Apostle John, trained under him, was, he was mentored by the Apostle John. This is what he says in his book, Against Heresies. For in as many days as this world was made. How many days? Six days, right? Because the seventh day, Yahuwah rested. So seven days, or six days, the world was made. In so many thousand years shall it be concluded. This is an account of the things formerly created. So also, it is a prophecy of what is to come. For the day of Yahuwah is as a thousand years. And in six days, created things were completed. It is evident, therefore, that they will come to an end at the 6,000th year. And so Apostle Peter, that's what he preached. Irenaeus, a student of the Apostle John, this is what he believed. He wrote about it and he said, when we look back at the Genesis account of creation, it is actually prophetic. There will be events that will take place corresponding to the different emphasis 
of the creation day, one to six, even seven of Genesis. And so when we look at the seven days plan, and we know each day represents a thousand years, day one is from creation until a thousand years. However, um, anyways, we'll, we'll look at this first. Zero to a thousand years. Day two, a thousand years to two thousand years. Day three, two thousand to three thousand years. Day four, three thousand to four thousand years. Day five, four thousand to five thousand years. Day six, five thousand to six thousand years. And day seven, six thousand to seven thousand years. Where do you think we fall on this timeline? We're definitely not on day seven. Right? We're not on day seven. Where do you think we're on? Where are we now? Day six, perhaps? You think we're on day six? Well, how can we know? If you notice, there are different emphasis on each of the days of creation. They correspond to events, prophetic events that will take place within that span of a thousand years. And so what are these events? For example, what prophetic events took place that was depicted by day one of creation. Day one of creation, take note, was when Yahuwah divided the light from darkness. And what is the significance of dividing the light from darkness? What does light represent? Good. What does darkness represent? Bad. And so there's this battle between good and bad, which took place when Adam and Eve, Eve ate the forbidden fruit. And then ever since then, there's this struggle between good and evil and so there's a separation between what is good and what is bad what is light and what is darkness so basically the fulfillment of is a separation of good and evil in man okay and so that's the first day now let's go to day number two day number two then god said let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and so it's about water the emphasis is about water and we know water represents sin the sea represents sin, I should say. And so we have water, and when Yahuwah separated the waters from the waters, all of a sudden, dry land appeared. Does that sound familiar? When there's lots of water, and then dry land begins to appear. Remember what happened to Noah? The universal deluge? The flood? What happened to the earth? It was covered with water. Even the highest mountains was covered with water. And eventually, the water would subside, and land would appear. And so this was fulfilled with Noah and the flood. So this happened in years 1000 to 2000. Okay. Then we go to day number three. What happened on day number three? And Yahuwah said, let the earth bring forth grass and the seed that bears fruit. And so the emphasis is the seed planted in the land that bears Fruit, the multiplication of seed. I don't know. Does that sound familiar to you? Seed, multiplication, growth. What could that be? Genesis 22, 18. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Who, could, who is that? Who is that? In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. This was a covenant that Jehovah was making with who? Abraham. 26, 4, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. This is the seeds of Abraham, right? 35, 12, the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you and to your descendants after you, I give this land. And so the emphasis or what took place as a prophetic fulfillment of day number three is Abraham and the promised land. So we have, you know, like Adam and Eve falling from grace, Cain and Abel, and the, the, the sin that happened during the days of creation, the beginning of creation, which led to Noah and the flood. But even after Noah and the flood judgment, man continued to commit sin. This is why they even built the Tower of Babel. And so sin continues to be rampant. And so Abraham comes to the scene and the promised land, all being depicted according to the timeline by the days of creation. So next comes the sun, the moon, the stars, that will, and the sun ruling over the day. 
So what do you think that could be? Remember, this is a thousand year period, right? And in the thousand year period, the emphasis is the sun, the moon, the stars. Well, when we look at Genesis, let them be for lights in the firmament. And so the sun, the stars, and the moon, its purpose is to give off light. Of the three, the sun, the stars, the moon, which one produces and gives the most light? What is it? The sun. And so when you look at the stars, not much, the moon more so, and then the sun. So what could this be representing? When we look at the timeline and when we look at the Holy Scriptures. Remember this dream? Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers. Who's that? Joseph. Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. This was the dream of Joseph. Joseph became the father of the Israelites, basically. Right? And so the Israelites are depicted in prophecy. For example, in Revelation 12, 1 to 6, the Israelites are depicted in prophecy as the moon, the stars, the sun, and the great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head, a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she carried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his heads. His tail uh, drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up, right, Harpazo, to God, to Yahuwah, and his throne. And so here we have a woman, in, which is, of course, a symbol, clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Who was that woman again? That is Israel. Israel would produce who? The Messiah. Remember, in Genesis, what we find in the creation of the fourth day is when the moon, the stars, and the, the sun was produced, it is to provide light. Israel, the Mosaic Covenant, the Torah, its purpose was to provide light to the nations. But the ultimate manifestation of light was who? Yahusha. This is why in the day of creation, it says the sun was to rule over the day. And so there's the day being emphasized there, and the sun rules over it. Now, who is recognized as the sun of righteousness in symbolism? Not a 542, but to you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. There's a, pro a messianic prophecy. It is about the coming of our King Yahusha. He is called in this passage the sun of righteousness. Now, why is he called the sun of righteousness? Because Yahusha says, I have come as a light into the world. The purpose of the moon. The stars and the sun is to provide light, right? And so the ultimate manifestation of light is our king, Yahushua. And so when we look at the plan, the seven-day plan, day four, that corresponds to the establishment of Israel, the Mosaic covenant with Moses, and eventually culminating at the end, at the end of day four, right? The coming of the Messiah, the birth the death, the burial, and resurrection of Messiah, which takes us to day five, the last 2,000 years before the return of Messiah. What's going to happen next? Well, it mentions waters, right? The fish in the sea and the birds, you know, who are likened to fish. In the New Testament, human beings are likened to fish. This is why Yahushua said, when he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of Men, human beings, were likened to fish that need to be caught for their salvation. And what is likened to a bird? John 1, 32, and John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. And so the Holy Spirit is likened to a dove, which is a kind of bird. 
And so human beings being empowered by the Holy Spirit, that marks off the fifth day. That's the beginning of the fifth day. For a human being to become a disciple, to become a fish with the Spirit, they need to first receive the Spirit. But remember what Yahushua said in John 7, 39, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Yahushua was not yet glorified. And so the fifth day would commence only after the receiving of the Holy Spirit. When does that take place? When did people receive the Holy Spirit to become, quote unquote, fish? Fish of Yahushua in Acts 2, 1 to 4, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so when was the fifth day fulfilled? When the Holy Spirit descended and the people received empowerment. It's like Yahushua was in them. And because of this, they were able to multiply as disciples. And so we have the fulfillment of that event, the fifth day, corresponding to fishing for men and the work of the Holy Spirit that was that started during the day of Pentecost. And so for the next thousand years, this is what is happening. Fishing for men. This is what basically is what we're doing before the end comes. We're fishing for men, making disciples of people to become followers of Yahushua to receive the work of, to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And then day six, I think this is pretty obvious. When man was created the command to them was to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, control creation, control the earth, right? Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds, the living things that moves on the earth. And so we have to fill the earth. Question, do you know when in the history of man the earth was actually filled? Isn't it during our time? Here's a graph of population, the population of the world from 1000 AD and the present day, okay? 1000 AD, look at the population, less than 500,000 people. Did you know in 1000 AD, when you look at the population of the whole world, in 1000 AD, it was about 250,000 people. 250,000 people. Do you know how many people there are that live in Alaska today? About 700,000 people. So in Alaska, I mean, and it's not densely populated at all, right? And so in 1000 AD, the worldwide population was only about 250,000 people. It's amazing, right? And then it didn't grow that much in the 1200, 1400. In the 1800s, there was barely a million, a million people in world population. How many, what's the population of the Philippines right now? I don't know. But it's way more than a million. In the 1800s, the world population was 1,800. And so the world was not filled. And then all of a sudden, the 1900s and above, look what happens to the population of mankind. Right? It shut up. Today, we're over, what, 8 billion? 8 billion people. It just went way up, the population of the world. And so we have not only the population of the world growing exponentially, we also have the fact that human beings are able to basically control and subdue a lot of what's happening in the earth. This is the spread of intelligence, the spread of technology and science. And so we have the growing of knowledge. And so all this is being fulfilled in the past 1,000 years or so in day number six and so man multiplying and filling the earth which leads us to day seven right what is day seven bible says in day seven yahuwah rested what does this represent hebrews 4 8 to 10 for joshua had given them rest and he would not have afterward have spoken of another day there remains therefore a rest for the people of yahuwah 
For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as Yahuwah did from his. Here, the Apostle Paul is, is telling us about a future day consisting of a thousand years, which represents a rest, a rest for the people of Yahuwah. And when will this take place? When Yahusha returns. Because when Yahusha returns, Satan will be bound for a thousand years, right? And then those who will belong to Yahusha, they will reign with Yahusha for a thousand years. This is called the millennial kingdom. And so that is being depicted by day seven. And so you notice in this timeline, each day represents a thousand years. In those thousand years, there are prophetic events that will take place. They want all the way to day seven. What is interesting is basically the whole world, the whole earth, has how many thousand years? Six thousand years before it comes to an end, right? Six thousand years before the return of our king, Yahusha. Six thousand years. And so if we know what year we are right now, then we can probably look at when the end will come, right? And so when you look at, when you go to publications from the Jewish people, the Jews believe, this is what the Jews believe, um, according to classical Jewish sources, the Hebrew year 6,000, okay, they, they believe in the uh, prophetic plan of Yahuwah, that the Hebrew year 6,000 from sunset, September 29, 2,239 until nightfall of, of September 16, 2240 under the Gorian calendar, marks the last time for the initiation of the Messianic age. Remember, the Jewish people were waiting for their, or they're waiting for? They're waiting for the Messiah. The Jewish people are waiting for the Messiah. They believe that after 6,000 years of world history, that's when the Messiah is going to come. And the Messiah is going to rule for a thousand years. So they believe that because it's in the Bible, right? The Talmud, Midrash, and the Kabbalistic work, the Zohar, state that the date by which the Messiah must appear is 6,000 years from creation, according to tradition. The Hebrew calendar started at the time of creation, placed at 3761 BCE. The current 2021-2022 Hebrew year is 5782. Okay, So right now, we are in year 5782. So how many years do we have left? We have about, I don't know, 200 plus years. So we have about 200 plus years, according to Jewish sources. But here's the thing. It's very difficult to kind of compute that, right? Because there were some, for example, there was this bishop by the name of Usher. His name is Usher. He's a world historian, biblical scholar. He computed the beginning to be 4004. That's when Adam was created according to genealogy. But the problem with the genealogy is, when you look at it, it gives you rounded numbers and so there's a lack of precision so very difficult really difficult because there are gaps in the timeline the gaps in the, in the genealogy in the holy scriptures so it's very difficult to pinpoint the beginning because if we were able to pinpoint the beginning then we can find like when exactly the end is going to come if six thousand years for world history holds true right makes sense so far but you know do i believe that we are in year 5072 i don't I don't believe that because I don't know what the sources are. So I refuse to believe that. However, there's also a Jewish belief that goes something like this. And this is a popular Jewish belief. A Jewish historian, Josephus, we talked about Josephus before. He was a historian during the days of Yerusha, stated that Elijah ran the school of the prophets and that Elijah's outline of prophecy was written in what was called the Epistle of Elijah which still existed while Josephus was recording Jewish history, 70 AD. The Talmud and the commentary, Hana Debe El Yahu, says that Elijah taught that there would be 6,000 years of human history and then the establishment of a 1,000 year Messianic kingdom. So the Jewish people, they believe that. Okay, but it, they, he goes on to say the 6,000 years would be divided into three ages of 2,000 years each. 
The first age is the age of chaos. The second age is the age of Torah. And the third is the Messianic age. This is very interesting because it's somewhat different from what we read earlier. And so according to this belief, which was supported by Josephus, who is a Jewish historian of note, and many people consider him to be a historian of repute, someone that you can trust. And so according to his belief, the 6,000 years of human history, world history, right, is divided into three, each 2,000 years long, right? What are they? Age of Chaos, Age of Torah, Messianic Age. So if we go back to our seven-day plan, and in the seven-day plan, it's divided into seven days, as you can see, but the first six days correspond to the 6,000 years of what is allotted for our planet Earth. So we have the age of chaos, if it's 2,000 years, and it's called the age of chaos. It basically depicts the separation of good and evil in man, and then no end of love, right? Which makes sense, because at that point, there was no notable voice that would give them light, because Abraham did not come to the scene. Even after Noah, the flood had come, mankind still remained stubborn. He built the Tower of Babel, okay? So it was, it was called the Age of Chaos, 2,000 years. The next set of 2,000 years is the Age of Torah. And the precursor to Moses was actually Abraham. Because Abraham was following Torah even though it was not yet written. This is why it was called by the sages of the Jewish people to be the Age of Torah. Abraham and the establishment of Israel, the Mosaic Covenant, all the way to the birth of Messiah, we call that the age of Torah. And then we have the age of Messiah. That's when Messiah will rule in the hearts of people through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have 2,000 years, 2,000 years, 2,000 years makes how many? 6,000 years. So the 6,000 years of human history is broken down into three categories, age of chaos, age of Torah, and age of Messiah. If this is true, I'm saying if this is true, I'm not making a doctrinal stand here, okay? But if this is true, if we know when day five started, right, and we add 2,000 years to it, then we can kind of get a sense of when we shall return. We can bypass all the genealogies and just work from the, the, third, the third epoch, which is the age of Messiah. So when did the uh, fishing of men and the work of the Spirit begin? Day of Pentecost, which is the same year Yahusha died. If Yahusha died, for example, uh, 32 AD, if Yahusha died in 32 AD, okay, 2,000 years from that would be the end of 6,000 years, right? And so what date do you get? 2,000 could it be? Again, again, I'm not making a doctrinal stand about that, about dates and when the return of our King Yahushua is, but it seems possible or feasible. And so basically mankind is being given 6,000 years to, be, to uh, have dominion over the earth, right? And then after 6,000 years, Yahushua is going to come and he's going to redeem the earth because mankind did a terrible job on the earth. This is why in Isaiah 24, the Bible says the earth was defiled, right? Because of the sin of man, because the covenant was violent. So man, uh, mankind did a terrible job. He is only given the earth for 6,000 years. And then the kinsman redeemer will come. Who is that? Messiah. He will redeem the earth and he will give it to his bride. When is this? The millennial kingdom. When will that be? 2032? I don't know. We don't know, okay? Very hard to put a date but one thing we kind of know is we're getting close we're getting very close because there's only two thousand years allotted from the time that the church or the assembly was given birth to until the return of our king so we're very close according to the seven-day plan the timeline of yahuwah how also can we confirm this six thousand years 
the 6,000 years of redemptive history. How else can we confirm that? Let's read Genesis 6, verse 3. Then Yahuwah said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. What's the context in Genesis 6? Yahuwah created man, but they became wicked, violent, committed murder, right? And so even the thoughts and the imagination of his heart became wicked through and through. And so Yahuwah said, I'm not going to contend with man anymore. He's not going to contend with men. He's not going to strive with men. In other words, Yahuwah was pretty much fed up. I'm not going to deal with men anymore because they keep disobeying me. And so Yahuwah is giving them how many years? 120 years before the flood will come. And when the flood of judgment comes, it destroys all of mankind except for who? Noah and his family, right? So Yahuwah is not going to contend with man anymore. He's going to destroy mankind with the flood after 120 years. What is that 120 years called? Who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. So while the ark was being prepared, this is called the long suffering of Yahuwah. Yahuwah waited. He waited because as the ark was being built, Noah was also preaching the righteousness of Yahuwah. So Yahuwah waited. And so that long suffering was for 120 years. And so after 120 years, after he appointed that time, floods came, it destroyed mankind. But soon afterwards, oh, what happened to man? What happened to man? He would again betray who? Yahuwah. They built the tower instead of filling the earth they built a tower and they rebelled against Yahuwah but Yahuwah said I will not contend with men I'm giving them a hundred and twenty years what is that called that is a period of his long suffering wait a minute if after that 120 years of long suffering Mankind continues to rebel. What are we to make of Genesis chapter 6 and the verses 3? Well, it could be that the long suffering of Yahuwah could be extended in sets of 50. Why? What is significant about 50? Let's read the book of Leviticus 25, 8 down to 13. Count off seven Sabbaths of years. Seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbaths of years amounted to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sound everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all of its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each one of you is to return to his family property and each to his own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the untended vines. For it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. In this year of jubilee, everyone is to return to his own property. It's really interesting, right? Bible says every seven years or every seven Sabbath of years, once you finish the 49th, the 50th one is special. It's called the year of Jubilee. And so on the 50th year of the seventh Sabbath, what are they going to do? They're going to sound off the trumpet. It's going to be declared a they, uh, a year of liberty because those who are slaves are slaves no more. Those who lost property to get their property back. So it's a year of rejoicing, a year of liberty. It's the year of jubilee. Everyone returns to his own property. And so this is 50. This is a jubilee of years. It's a set of 50. Okay. So 50 marks liberation. It marks completion. 50. This is why 50 is what Pentecost 
is all about, right? 50. So 50 sets of 120, that could represent the complete long-suffering of Yahuwah. Because Yahuwah's long-suffering is, depict, is depicted not just with his relationship with the people during the days of Noah. Even today, Yahuwah is contending with man and is exercising long-suffering. So the jubilee of Yahuwah's long-suffering would be 50 sets of 120 years. And so if you have 50 sets of 120 years each, how many years does that make? 50 times 120. I'll do the math for you. Lo and behold, it's 6,000 years. And so the complete set of Yahuwah's long-suffering in totality is 6,000 years. That's from the time mankind fell up until the time our king returns. And so when we look at our timeline, basically man, the earth is given a lifespan of 50, a jubilee of 120 years, a jubilee of Yahuwah's long suffering, which represents 6,000 years. After that, it will be redeemed. It will be redeemed by our King Yahusha, given to his bride, because that's who, who it truly belongs, who truly belongs to our King Yahusha. Now, having said all this, I want you to think about this. Okay? If there are 50 sets of 120 years, 50 sets, can we consider the 50th set of 120 years each as the ends of the earth? So if we have human history divided into 50 periods of time, and you have the last 50th, the last set of 120 years, can we consider that as the ends of the earth? I think so, right? It would make a lot of sense. But the last set, the 50th set, that's the ends of the earth. Now, if, I want you to think about this, if 1914 is the beginning of the time called ends of the earth, well, how much time do we have left before the return of Yahushua? If 1914 was the beginning of the liberation, freedom, 1914 plus 120 gives you what? 2034. Am I saying 2034 is the day our King Yahushua returns? I'm not saying that. But I want, what I wanted to point out is there's a lot of different pieces kind of falling into place that tell us we're very close to the end. And if we're very close to the end, do you know what is usually blown? What is blown when we're close to the end? Trumpets. This is why in Leviticus 25, take note, when it's the 50th year, what is to be blown? Bible says, verse 9, look at verse 9, then have the trumpet sounded everywhere. And when you look at the Hebrew, it is a ram's horn, shofar. Have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month. And so on the 50th year, on the Jubilee year, there'll be a warning. Because it's the day when there's going to be liberation. Right? And the Bible says, on that day, everyone who owns the land and lost it, they get it all back. And so basically what the Bible is telling us is, when the 50th Sabbath, the 50th Jubilee, the Jubilee comes, when that day happens, or when that year happens, the last 120 years, after that, guess what? The land that was given to man, to have dominion over, is going to be taken back to who it truly belongs. And that's Yahuwah. It's going to be given to Yahusha under the covenant of the kinsman redeemer agreement the scroll in revelation 5 and so yahushua will act that out and that will be what it takes for him to redeem the earth give it to his bride and that will be the millennial king so it's all falling into place but the question now is this when is that trumpet sound when is the signal of the 50th set the jubilee of the long suffering of Yahuwah. I want to read here Revelation 8, 1 to 2, verse 7. When he opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about half an hour, 
And I saw the seven angels who stand before Yahuwah, and to them were given seven trumpets, seven trumpets. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And the third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. And so here we have the opening of the seventh seal, which pretty much marks the ends of the earth, does it not? And how does it begin? With the blowing of trumpets. Bible says that on the 50th, a trumpet will be blown. It just so happens when the seventh seal is open, there's going to be an event. And after that event, there's going to be a blowing of trumpets. And when this first trumpet of the seventh seal is blown, the Bible says there's hail and fire mingled with blood and thrown to the earth. A third of the trees were burned up and the green grass was burned up. Question, was this fulfilled? Because if it was fulfilled already, then we can get an idea on when ends of the earth actually started. So when, if at all, this event has already taken place, that's what, that's what it's, we're going to answer next week. Not today, but next week which ties it to our special worship service on July 23rd. Because there are many people who are saying, Brother, what is the significance of 1914 to us? It's very significant. And we will show you the reason why next week, which is why we continue to have a special worship service, commemorating a work of Yahuwah that begins the last set of Yahuwah's long suffering. Okay, so that'll be for next week, and I want you to please uh, watch that episode, be present next week, so that we can be prepared for our special worship service. That is our lesson for today. Let us stand, and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, merciful and gracious Yahuwah Abba, thank you so much for blessing us with wisdom. Thank you for pointing us to the work of your prophets, the work of the apostles, the scriptures and the patterns therein, you give us wisdom that we might prepare ourselves, that we can receive your grace, mercy, and love. Father, please bless everyone here. You are almighty, Yahuwah. You know exactly what's going to happen. You know what kind of suffering and tribulation we must endure. Father, when we turn to you for help, may you please look upon each and every one of us and strengthen our faith. So, our King Yahushua, may you please continue to guide us. May you heal us of our sicknesses, and may you always strengthen our faith as we prepare for your second coming. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen.